Thank you to Shiori and Audrey, or not Audrey, I, Arlene, I'm sorry. <laughs> Thank you to Audrey, too, for whatever you did this morning. Uh, but... Uh, um, uh, thank you for sharing about the Operation Christmas Child. I do encourage you to pick up a box and uh, pack it, and uh, we'll be sending those out uh, along with several other churches, and it makes a huge impact around the world. So how are you doing this morning? How, how, how has the week been? I ask that in all honesty because I think that this week has been uh, kind of one of those weeks that I, I wonder how you have responded even to the testimony that we heard last week. Like last week, Shizuka and Paul uh, shared about the miracle that God did in Shizuka's life and in healing her and, and even the miracle that God did in, in Paul's life and just growing his faith. And, uh, and, I, and I wonder like what our response to that has been. I ask that in all honesty because sometimes I think that we... Uh, we, when we hear stories like that, there is this natural tendency to uh, look for reasons around what we have heard rather than just to give God the credit. Am I right? Like we have this, uh, this tendency to construct barriers to belief. If you haven't heard the testimony, go to the church website this week. It's a fantastic testimony of God's power and of his love and his care. I've been a Christian virtually my whole life, and I've been in ministry a long time. I've never heard, I've never seen a miracle that is quite like uh, what God did in Shizuka's uh, life and uh, in, in Paul's uh, heart as well. But we have this tendency to construct what I'll call barriers to belief. Even as I was going around the tables last week at the lunch, there were uh, some that I would talk to. 95% of people were like, wow, that was awesome. It's amazing what God did. But there were a handful of people that began to wonder, is there, is there any other explanation? Even though the doctors didn't have one, could there have been a medical explanation? Could there be a way around that we, we would find excuses not to believe? I think we have that tendency. It's a weird thing within us but we have this tendency to look for reasons not to place our faith in God. After Shizuka was healed, she went before the doctors and the nurses, and many of them in tears, amazed at what God had, uh, amazed at what had been done, but had the hardest time uh, taking that leap of faith, jumping over the hurdle of belief to credit God for what had been done, let alone place their own faith in Jesus Christ himself. You see, we have a tendency to uh, build up these barriers of belief. We have these tenden this tendency to make excuses, to find reasons to explain God away and not to place our faith in Him. So this is my honest question for each of us today. What are these barriers of belief that we tend to uh, get in our minds and in our hearts and why do we construct them? What are these tendencies, what are these barriers of belief, and why do we construct them? Because I would hope that all of us in, in our hearts, we, we might be able to begin to identify and tear some of those things down, because wouldn't it be great if 
our faith in God were to grow and he were to become more central in our lives. Let's go before the Lord in prayer and then we'll open up the scriptures together. Father God, we are still rejoicing for what you have done in Shizuka and Paul. And God, uh, as we gather together this morning and we continue this series on the God of miracles, I pray that you would remove the, bind, uh, the blinders from our own eyes. God, I pray that as we look at these barriers to belief, that you would help us to identify certain tendencies within our own hearts, help us to wrestle with things honestly, and God, may there be uh, opportunities for us to tear some things down so that we might see you for who you really are. God, may you come now and be our teacher and speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. The Bible talks about how Jesus performed miracles on earth. In fact, he would, he would go from city to city, and in almost every place he would heal someone or, or he would do something that had no earthly explanation. It was clearly a miracle. Now, some would respond by faith and place their faith in Jesus and, began to, and begin to follow him. But there were many uh, who the Bible says that the message they heard and what they witnessed, it was too difficult. They turned away in unbelief. Once after Jesus had done some powerful things in other towns, he went back to his hometown of Nazareth. And when he went back to Nazareth, he went into the synagogue, which was in the center of the city, and all the uh, townspeople gathered into the synagogue. He had their full attention because of what he had done. And as he uh, was in the front of the sanctuary, he asked for the scroll of the ancient prophet Isaiah, and he opened it up to read a passage for all the people. The passage he read from out of Isaiah is, is from what we call Isaiah 61. It's recorded for us in Luke 4. In Luke 4, it tells us uh, that Jesus read these words. Verses 18 and 19, Jesus read, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim Good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and, recover, and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. When Jesus read these words, they would have struck a note in the hearts in the, uh, in, of each hearer there because they were all looking forward to the person who had come in fulfillment of this prophecy. They were looking forward to a Messiah who would bring good news to the hurting. The, the Greek word there is the, the gospel. They would bring the gospel to those who are hurting and who are suffering. He would do miracles. He would heal people. He would cause the blind to see. And then he says, and then the prophet says, and this, the Messiah would bring the Lord's favor. Now, when I look at those things, I don't think we're too far off from the first century hearers. Like, are not these the things that we long for in our day and age as well? Like, we long for justice for those who are mistreated. And we long for the, for the problems, the trials, the hurts of this world to be healed, even if, if it's by God's miraculous power. And we, too, want God's favor, his blessing upon our lives and our families. Now, we might not use the exact same words. We might not use the words gospel and miracle and miracles and the Lord's favor in, in our culture and in our day and age. But this is exactly what I think people are longing for 
today as well. We want God's power. We want uh, justice. We want the Lord's favor. Now, after Jesus was uh, done reading from the prophet Isaiah, he dropped the mic, so to speak. He sat down and he said, this is verse 21, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, Jesus says, all these things that I've been doing, the teaching that I've been giving, the, he- the healing that you've seen me do, the, uh, the proclamation of God's salvation, these are all done with the purpose of knowing who I am. That I am the one that you've been longing for. I am the Messiah, the Savior who has come into the world. In other words, the evidence for who Jesus was was seen in what he had done. And a similar thing could be said uh, for us today as well. Like we just came on the heels of hearing this miraculous testimony of God's power and his love and his care for us. The evidence for who Jesus is is seen in what he has done. And the same things and and many similar things are revealed to us even on a daily basis if we simply have eyes to see in the things around us, in nature and in relationships and the blessing and the protection of God's love and and his power and his care for us. He is revealing to us who he is. Romans 1.20 says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. So that people are without excuse. We ought to recognize who God is by what we see all around us. The evidence for who God is for who God is is seen in what he has done. And the funny thing is that even though we are without excuse, we tend to make excuses. In other words, we find reasons not to believe. Look at uh, the people's response in Luke, 20, in Luke 4, 22. After Jesus has said, uh, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing, their response is, isn't this Joseph's son? You see what they're doing? Right away, they can't take Jesus at his word or even look at the evidence. They have to find excuses not to believe. Isn't this Joseph's son? This can't be the one we've been waiting for. I saw that little kid playing on the playground when he was younger. I know him. That's Joseph's boy. He, can't, he might be a good guy. He might be a prophet. He might be a miracle worker. But he can't actually be God. You see, they find excuses not to take him for who he says he is. They set up reasons to believe. There are these barriers to belief. We have a tendency to do the same thing. I talked to someone on the phone this week, and I couldn't help but share with him about what God had done uh, in Shizuka's life and how he had uh, healed, uh, her, healed him, or I mean healed her. And, the, and uh, when I was talking to him, this is a guy that I went to seminary with, a guy that's been... Uh, following the Lord's... I knew him since he was like 10 years old. Guy uh, who has been fully committed and he says, I had the, har- I had the hardest time uh, believing that, but because you're my friend, I'll believe you. Isn't that crazy? How we, we are so quick to set up barriers to belief. I'll give us three types of barriers of belief. First of all, I think there are intellectual barriers. 
In other words, we have a hard time uh, reconciling what we know to be true with what we know about God. We said uh, miracles don't make sense. That's why they're a miracle, right? They, they can't be explained with human logic. And there are many things in our lives that we set up intellectual barriers to belief. We, can't, uh, we don't have answers to this question or that question, and so we don't think we can believe in God. There are intellectual barriers to belief. In the next few weeks in this sermon series, we're going to deal with a lot of those inter- uh, intellectual barriers. We're going to uh, uh, try to wrestle with, for example, how do we understand the supernatural in a scientific age? There are all kinds of intellectual barriers. Sometimes we can have these intellectual barriers that keep us from placing our faith in God. There are also emotional barriers. Emotional barriers are those emotions that rise up within us that uh, keep us from fully trusting God. And I think uh, of times when we're drowning in despair, or we're angry, or we're worried, or we're depressed, or we're confused, or, or, or whatever the emotion is, It can cause us to doubt the love, power, and care of God. I talked to someone even uh, this past week who heard the testimony from Shizuka and Paul, and uh, and their reaction was, why didn't God heal my loved one? You see, there are these emotional barriers to belief. And I'm not minimizing those, those, those. I'm not minimizing any of these barriers. The reason we're dealing with them is because I think each of them are significant and ought to be faced head on. But we'll talk about that in, in these next couple weeks, in these next couple months. When God says no, why doesn't God always answer the prayers the way we want him to? We have emotional barriers. But here's the third barrier, the one that I really want to uh, uh, deal with head on this morning. And I'll call it a volitional barrier. By volition, we mean we're referring to our wills. A a volitional barrier is the inability to choose to believe in God or to trust him. At times, we choose not to believe in God because we're not sure we want to trust in this God. We ask ourselves, Does God really know what's best for my life? Can I trust him to lead me in the right direction? If I follow him, uh, what if I follow him only to regret it later? Is Is it possible my life would be better off if I just was left to make my own decisions? You see, I highlight this idea of volitional barriers because I think oftentimes the reason we do not believe is simply because we do not want to believe. We choose, not, well, we, we choose not to believe because we know what, deep down inside, we know what that implies. That implies that we are letting God be in charge of our lives. You see, the theme that came out of the testimony last week, at least this is my opinion, one of the biggest themes was the idea of surrender. The idea of a volitional barrier is we're not ready to surrender our lives to God. We're not ready to, because we know that that means that God will call us to change our lives. You ever uh, turn on the light switch, and I'm sure this would never be in your house, maybe some, somebody else's house, but uh, you turn on the light switch and you're grossed out because there's a roach that runs across the room, runs to the darkness, all right? 
uh, wants to get out of the light. Roaches have a tendency to do that. I know that's a gross analogy, but I think it's just as filthy in our lives when as soon as the light of God shines upon us, we have a tendency to run to the darkness. See, this is the volitional barrier that I'm talking about. We choose not to believe because we do not want to believe, because we know that God will call us to change our lives. Jesus said, light has come into the world, but people loved the darkness because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will, come into the, uh, and will not come into the light for the fear that their deeds will be exposed. In other words, the reason people choose not to believe is because they do not want to have their lives changed. And to me, that's almost just silliness. It's almost foolishness. But that's not to say that it's easy. What Jesus is talking about here is, is a big deal. You ever watch those TV shows about hoarders? Uh, you, you look at them, and they, they got their house full of stuff, and they got their garage full of stuff, their backyard is full of stuff, their car is packed with stuff, and you, and you watch the TV and you're like, what are these guys doing? They got newspapers for 20 years ago filed away. They got old uh, furniture, uh, old appliances that don't lo no longer work. I watched a show uh, once, and the guy had five refrigerators sitting in his living room. Like, what do you need? None of them worked. They're all just, he's a hoarder. He's there, and you, and you look at that, and you're like, come on, can't you guys see this? That uh, your life would be so much better if you just got rid of the junk. And yet, that's why they have a TV show. They need somebody to come in and help them to see all this stuff you got is junk in your life. Just get rid of it. Your life will be better. And the weird thing is, when it comes uh, to the things of God, we tend to hang on to so much junk. If we could just step outside and see it for what it really is, we would recognize that our lives would be so much better if we could get rid of the evil and the sin and the habits in our lives. But we hang on to it. We hang on to it because we can't imagine what life would be like without it. We act like uh, fools in this way. If we would just surrender, our lives would be so much better. Let me explain it uh, in one more way, and this is using a book that I read this past week. It has not, the book has nothing to do with miracles. It's a book called The Voice of the Heart by Chip Dodd. But when I read that, I thought, let me read a couple quotes here because I thought, this is, this is fantastic. If we could just get our minds around this, it would change our lives. Okay, the first quote uh, is, uh, the author is talking about what he calls management of our lives. Look at what he says here. Management is an attempt to control life in order to stay safe and make sure that outcomes we planned, uh, we planned or predicted actually happen. When we manage a relationship, we prevent it from being an adventure, a joy, a surprise, and a gift. And so he's saying uh, we have a, a management tendency in our lives. And that's understandable. We all want to be in control of our lives. We want to make sure things go the way that we want them to go. But what he says is when we try to manage a relationship, and I'm going to put this in the context of our relationship with God, when we try to manage our relationship with God, we prevent it from being an adventure, 
a joy, a surprise, and a gift. Now, in contrast to management, uh, the author uh, uh, puts in contrast the idea of mystery. And this is what he says about mystery. Mystery is a willingness of heart to experience living truthfully and believe that we find goodness in it. Living in mystery means walking in faith that God is big enough to be in control and that God doesn't require our help to get the job done. See, what the author does here is he sets in contrast the idea of management and mystery. When we speak of a God of miracles, we're speaking of a, of a God of mystery. A God that cannot be predicted, cannot be put in a box, cannot be controlled. But the thing is, we, the reason we have a tendency not to believe in the God of miracles is because a mystery stands in, in contrast with management, and we have a tendency to want to manage our own lives. It seems like a lot more, uh, it seems a lot more safe and predictable if we're in charge. But here is what the God of miracles is calling us to do. He's calling us to step out of being, being able to manage our lives and step into the world of mystery that we cannot understand. It cannot be predicted. Uh, nothing could, uh, you cannot explain mystery. And yet, uh, we, and yet if we do not enter into the, if we're not willing to take that leap of faith and embrace the mystery, then we lose out on so much. We lose out on the adventure. We lose out on the mystery. We lose out on the joy. We lose out on the gift of God. And yet we hang on to these things because we want to be in control. Now in the story of Jesus here in Luke chapter 4, this is the way it ends. Verse, jumping down to verse 28. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this, when they heard what Jesus said, that he was the Messiah. They got up, drove him out of town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. So this is what we have seen happen here. Jesus came into his hometown of Nazareth, and uh, went to the center of the town, into the synagogue. He proclaimed who he was. He says, all the things that I've been doing, they're te they're, they testify to who I am, that I am the Messiah, that I'm the Savior of the world. But what do the people do? They, set, they began to make excuses. He can't be the guy he says he is. And so uh, uh, being furious by his claims, they drive him from the center of the city to the edge of town where there is a cliff, and, he's read, and they're ready to throw him off the cliff. See, what I see here is an analogy for our own lives. In light of what God has been showing us and who he has re been revealing himself to us, because believe me, I really think God's trying to get our attention right now. He's trying to show us who he is. If we just would open up our eyes for a moment, to grasp what he's saying about himself. The evidence of who God is is seen in what, he is, in what he is doing. He wants to be in the center of our lives, but we have a tendency to want to keep him on the sideline of our lives. 
Jesus, as long as he was a miracle worker, the people were fine with him. It's when he began to uh, proclaim that he wanted to be their master that they had a problem with him. And many people would love a God who uh, does miracles and blesses them and does does all kinds of good things. What Jesus is saying is he doesn't want to be on the sideline of our lives. He wants to be in the center of our lives. When the people drove uh, Jesus to the edge of the town and uh, they had him on the edge of the cliff, it says that he didn't get all furious back at them. They were furious at him, but he didn't throw a fit. Rather, he walked right through the people and went on his merry way. And that's the same thing that he'll do for us as well. If we choose not to let him, uh, him be the center of our lives, to be the master of our lives, to surrender our lives to him. He won't throw a fit. He won't force his way in. You see, the decision is ours. If we choose not to let him, if we choose not to have him be the master of our lives and surrender our lives to us, uh, to him, he will walk right on through us and he'll go on his merry way. And so that's my challenge for all of us. We could simply choose to be, try to be in charge of our own lives. Or we could surrender and let God be in charge. We could let him be in the center. The decision of what we do with the, this God of miracles rests on us. There are many things that we can put into the center of our lives. We can put in money or hobbies or our families or our kids' activities our success, our reputation, the list could go on and on. Many people put many things in the center of their lives and they organize everything around that. And God cares about all of these things. And I just want to say, I'm not trying to be critical because I think we're all doing the best we can, but it does seem that there are many things that we put in the center of our lives that are not nearly as great or as important as God is. God is powerful and he loves us and he cares for us more than we could ever imagine. But he cannot be controlled. He cannot be put into a box. He demands that we simply surrender our lives and our wills to him. If we want to be the manager of our lives, we will lose out on the mystery of God. But if we want to experience all of who God is, his blessings, even his miracles, it starts with a moment of surrendering, of of choosing to ask him to come and to be in the center of our lives. See, I know that's hard because we know that it demands something. You see, it means that we get rid of the junk of sin in our lives but wouldn't you rather enter into the mystery and experience the power, love, and care of God than to simply hang on to it uh, with white knuckles or, uh, to be in charge of our own lives? And so the question I leave us with this morning is a surrender question. Would you want to make God greater in your life right now? I'll invite the uh, prayer counselors and the worship team to come forward, and as they do, I just encourage you
to uh, begin to wrestle with these questions yourself. Do you want God to be the center of your life, or would you rather keep him on the sidelines? Would you want to embrace the God of miracles who can do the miraculous, or would you rather hang on to the junk of sin? Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father God, and just in light of what we have seen in Luke chapter 4 this morning, we recognize that there is this natural tendency for us to, uh, to erect barriers to belief. And as much as we want to just throw up questions around that, like why in the world would we do that, especially in light of who you are, uh, who you reveal yourself to be, I think more than anything, it's because we have a hard time letting go of our sin. And God, we have a hard time surrendering our lives to you. And so God, first of all, just in the quietness of this sanctuary, we want to repent of that. And we want to ask you that, uh, to help us to uh, let go of our sin and to embrace you. God, our natural tendency is one to be a manager, and so the mystery of God escapes us. God, I pray that you would help us right now, even as we close this service, to invite you to come in and to be more and more the center of our lives. As we sing this last song, I'm going to encourage you to come forward. And if you want to receive prayer about anything this morning, maybe you want to receive prayer to ask God to uh, be more central in your life. Maybe you're just going through something difficult right now that you'd like someone to pray with, uh, pray with you about. Maybe you're here this morning and you're like, I don't know what I want to pray about, but I just feel like I'd love to have someone uh, pray over me and to come into the presence of God. I invite you to come forward and to receive prayer. Uh, the Bible says where two or three are gathered together in his name, he is there with them. And so I invite you to come and to join your hearts together in prayer with someone. God, we thank you that you are a God of power and of love and who cares more for us than we could ever get our minds around. God, I pray that you would remove from us the barriers to belief and help us to place our faith and our trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen. As we sing, if you want to come forward and receive prayer, I, I want to encourage you to do that. If, uh, if not now, the prayer counselors will be available for the first 10 minutes after the service to pray with as well. Let's stand as we sing this final song.